0: Cumming is a writer and art critic. Laura experiences sounds as colours, called synesthesia, which makes attending concerts difficult to experience. Laura describes to Michael Barclay
1: the enjoyment of growing up in Edinburgh. Laura Cumming has been the art critic of The Observer for more than two decades, but I've come to the conclusion that at heart... She's really a detective. Her three books have all unravelled mysteries, of missing Velasquez painting, the inner lives of great artists revealed through their self-portraits, and the secrets and lies which lay behind the kidnap of her mother, aged three, on a Lincolnshire beach in 1929. It's an extraordinary story, Laura, and I want to talk more about that later. But first, how do you feel about being described as a detective?
2: I think that is an absolutely perfect... Perfect description and you are completely right actually Michael because even the book I'm writing now uh, is an attempt to find out what happened to a Dutch artist Carol Fabricius who was blown up in a terrible explosion in Delft and um, I think you're right. (laughs) Um, There is a way in which all looking at all art is an inquiry and I suppose, in terms of writing, I'm translating that into prose.
1: For you, music and art are very closely connected because you're synesthetic, aren't you? Just explain what that means in your terms.
2: Well, just a tiny bit. I mean, I think there are much more um, significant cases than than mine, but what it means to anyone listening will be that the fundamental is that every day of the week, for example, has a colour attached to it. Um, I think that's a very common one. Um, in, in my case... As you will hear during the course of this programme, every piece of music has a an image or a sequence of images attached to it. And there are strange moments, for example, in a concert hall. I can almost not bear it because there are so many images flooding through my head. And certain instruments are associated with certain tastes and so on. So it's that all these things are mixed together and that one sense uh, prompts another to run at the same time.
1: You're talking to me now from your home in London, but you grew up in Edinburgh and both your parents were artists tell me about the household probably a bit bohemian
2: oh it was a wonderful house to grow up in it was a big tall old house down by the sea in edinburgh Um, my mother was weaving her tapestries in one room and just above it was my father painting um, he tended to keep the door locked so that we wouldn't go in because he had a very fine technique of laying oil glazes and if they if they got interrupted by my brother and I then you know there would be hell um, and also I think probably because he smoked very heavily and didn't want us to see him doing it but it was it was a tremendous house and I I loved growing up there um, they were obsessively interested in music they never worked without music. My father's studio had in it this old Roberts radio held together by masking tape and covered in paint spatters. And he listened to Radio 3 all the time. I think his great composers were Bach and Beethoven. And I think um, my mother may be more adventurous. She was more interested in song, I think. But so, yes, it was a, a wonderful house. And although I have no ability whatsoever, I can draw a tiny bit but barely. I think to see what they did and what they made has made me and certainly made my career.
1: You've chosen this next piece, a traditional Gaelic song, to honour your father and his heritage from the Isle of Lewis.
2: Lewis is absolutely signal to my father's life. He was born and brought up in Dunfermline, but he left when he was 16. And like so many people, he signed up underage to be a pilot in the war. And had many years of suffering I think but when he came back he studied at Edinburgh College of Art and most people who were given a, a traveling scholarship if they won one would go of course to Paris or Rome and look at you know the great masters and he didn't he took all the money he had and eked it out on the island of Lewis where there were you know terrible winds and dreadful winters and people were frequently ill and uh, he painted for about 15 years, he painted from his experience of Lewis and that I think is his great period of of painting, the strangeness of this island but also because I loved the islands and this is where we would go on holiday.
1: There's an extraordinary sound that they make, Gaelic communities in churches there, where they do this kind of singing and rise up to the note. The,
2: the, the power of it is, I think, is almost incomparable. I mean, there must be other places in the world where this is the sound of a cappella singing, but for me, Ishbel McCaskill, who we're about to hear, is the greatest singer of Lewis, and I think this is the greatest song of the island. She's singing, On turning to the glen, my heart was enthralled. Since you did not give me your hand, I hoped you would not leave me. So I think you can hear the longing and yearning in the song anyway but um the song goes on to picture the island and the the farming of the island and so on i don't think anyone knows when it was written i think it's first transcribed in the 17th century and is Macaskill mccaskill matters also to me because she didn't sing in public until she was 38 years old and really only at the encouragement of her husband but she was picked up and people began to realize that she was one of the greatest voices and i love a late starter
3: Naum wie krammere
1: with Fair Love of My Heart. We're going to hear music next, Laura Cumming, with a, a very personal connection, because this was sung at your wedding to the political journalist Denis Sewell. He's a Catholic, and it was quite a grand wedding, uh, a full nuptial mass with a big choir.
2: <laughs> well, it wasn't a grand wedding in Sephora. There were, very, there were you know, only 90 of us there, so it's not an immense wedding, but it mattered very much that the mass should be Mozart, to him and um, and also to me. And this came at a point in the service, magnificently sung by a really tremendous choir, um, when an, a couple of people from the street turned up in the mass and um, a drunk and a woman with all her shopping and a, a homeless guy all came in because they heard the singing. Velasquez would have liked that, He would have loved it, <laughs> yes, so right, Michael. And... I could see them because we were actually at the altar at this point. I could see them and I felt so moved.
1: So it's a setting that we're going to hear of Psalm 117, part of the Mozart's Vespers, uh, one of his most beautiful vocal solos. And this is, I think, it's a recording from 1964, which you particularly wanted with Victoria de los Ancalas and Yehudi Menuhin, not performing but conducting was it very important to you that it was this performance
2: yes um not for him <laughs> I, alas <laughs> no. but for her um i find in her voice a spectrum of colour so exquisite um, she's to me, um, maybe not to anyone listening, but to me, she has this amazing range into the blues. So she has a, it's a sort of ultraviolet and a and, um, and a very powerful cobalt to me, <laughs> and um, and a great feeling of the. Uh, these are obviously these are the colours of light to me, and they have a great clarity in her very strong voice, and I love it very much.
1: Los Angeles, with the Laudate Dominum from Mozart's Solemn Vespers, and we heard the Bath Festival Orchestra and the Temple Church Choir, conducted by Yehudi Menuhin. Music performed at the wedding of my guest today, Laura Cumming. You were signing the register when it was sung, I imagine, but maybe that actually suited you because I know you don't terribly like seeing music being performed.
2: Oh, <laughs> you found me out. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I I uh, find concerts um, very um, challenging <laughs> because I don't know where to look. And uh, uh, people who have been so kind as to take me to concerts, um, I, I think it must be very disappointing for them because I'm constantly restless throughout because the the extraordinary nature of the music with all of its flashing colours and the sight of all these people, some of them waiting, some of them performing, some of them preparing to perform, some of them, you know, the, the sense of anticipation of a musician on a stage for his moment, the awful to me business of turning the page of the score just at exactly the right moment and occasionally seeing it fall to the ground and so on it's almost too much for me and I don't actually know where to look and I did I have once tried um going to a concert and sitting at the back facing away um and it it was an enormous uh, relief to me um I think I'm too um I, I alas I have too much. Uh, the visual world is, has primacy to me and I, I have too much interest in what they're wearing or how they look or whether they're straining or um, whether they're looking at each other. Or, <laughs> and and inevitably, of course you know what I'm going to say, which is that I can hardly take the theatre of the conducting um, <laughs> for for the extraordinary spectacle of it, you know. So I'm not... For, and I, I, the worst thing you could possibly do to me is to take me to a prom, for example, where there is all of that and then all of the audience his behavior, um, to, to distract me. So it's best for me if I listen without seeing.
4: Jesus, be the center, be my soul.
0: Brown is an author and a member of Pitlockery Baptist Church. Elaine has produced a series of talks for us on hymns which mean a lot to her. Today she talks about Keith and Melody Green writing, There is a Redeemer.
5: On lockdown Sundays and during the week too, hymns and songs have sometimes come to my mind. And then I'll record maybe the story behind the hymn or a time when the song specially helped me. This has been a valued part of my faith journey over the months, so I thought I'd share one or two of the songs with you. Today I've chosen a song often sung these days, There is a Redeemer. Both the words and music were written by a young mum, Melody Green, in the early 1980s. At least... Some of the words were written by her. I'll explain. Melody and Keith were hippies living in a commune in the USA. During that time, amazingly, through reading the Bible, they both found Jesus, or rather, they were found by Jesus, who reached out to them right there where they were. Their lives changed dramatically. You can read all about it in Keith's excellent book, No Compromise. Melody and Keith got married and then used their considerable musical gifts for God, writing music, performing, and for Keith especially, powerful preaching. He loved to preach and share the Lord. Keith and Melody had three lovely children, and the fourth was on the way. One day, Keith came in and found a slip of paper on the coffee table. The first two verses and the chorus of this fine song, There is a Redeemer. They'd been written by melody. Keith sat down and straight away added a final verse. A few weeks later, a friend came by. He came by in his plane because there was an airstrip nearby, and he invited Keith to join him in a joyride. So off they went, Keith and the two eldest children, and a few others gathered too, and they set off together very excited. But the plane was overloaded. It crashed soon after takeoff, and there were no survivors. We can never know how much Melody suffered in the weeks which followed. One day, she picked up that song and suddenly realised Keith must have had a special sense of heaven when he wrote those final lines. Let me read this much-loved song, particularly the poignant yet joyous last verse. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, over sinners slain. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. And here is Keith's verse. When I stand in glory, I will see his face and there I'll serve my King forever in that holy place. Thank you, O oh my Father. For giving us your son And leaving your spirit Till the work on earth is done
0: Elaine Brown And that piece was recorded and edited for us by Larry Gentis Now, following Elaine's reading of the words Here's the song with the music And it's Keith Green himself who sings it Here is There is a Redeemer
3: Lamb of God, Messiah. and I am drum
0: Malcolm has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear his thoughts on Psalm 38. It's followed by Purcell's Thou knowest, Lord, the secrets of our hearts, performed by Tenebrae under Nigel Short. A response to Psalm 38.
5: For I have found my God and my true friend, and heaven knows I need his friendship now. For I'm weak. My days draw to an end, or so it seems to me. I sigh and bow my head in bitterness. The stress and strain of chronic illnesses have laid me low. How can I praise you when I roar with pain, smitten with affliction and infection, no sooner soothed than in distress again, and made more bitter by the sad reflection that half of this I brought down on my head in folly? I deserve my dereliction, my portion of disquietness and dread. Forsake me not, O Lord my God. Make haste, deliver me, and raise me from the dead.
0: Alan Sorensen is a regular contributor to Pause for Thought on Radio 2. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his spots, and today he has one on guidance. OK, will get two choices. Either God is interested in our lives, or he isn't. If he is, then he must have an opinion on what's best for us. The problem is, how do we find that out? Whenever we've got some big decision to make, some choice, we want to know the right thing to do. And it's not often that God sends lightning bolts, personal letters, angels or a voice out of nowhere. So we frantically read the Bible, pray, ask him for some kind of a hint, nudge, even a funny-shaped cloud in the sky we do, Lord. Don't we? But sometimes God's guidance is just like getting the wife a birthday present. The more you love her, the longer you're with her the more you instinctively know what she wants. Predictable blessings to you. do 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 Lead me, oh Lord,
3: won't you lead me? I am tired and I need thy strength. As I wake, eyes of God.